Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You're listening to the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. I'm your podcast host, Orlando Murrin, and on this show, we're going to talk about some brilliant recipes and we'll even be tasting some of Tom's own creations. Welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with Chef Tom Kerridge. I'm your host, Orlando Murrin, and we have in the studio here today with us cook restaurateur Ravinda Bogle of Jaconi Restaurant. We're going to talk about curries. So first of all, Tom, I'd just like to ask you, had a good curry lately? I uh, Actually, funny you should say that. Yes, I'm very, very fortunate that I've got an incredibly good curry house not too far from where I live. And we probably go there maybe once every two, three weeks, we might get a takeaway from there or actually go down and have a sit-down visit maybe maybe once a month. But it's, yeah, Malik's in Cookham, which is very famous, wins lots of things in the World Curry Award. It's a great, great restaurant. I've been there a long, long time. But curry doesn't quite mean what we think it means. And Ravinda, I'd love to have your take on what a curry really is and why we seem to have fallen in love with it in this country. Well, I think the word curry is a really generic term. And uh, historically, I believe it's it's a British word um, that came from a South Indian word, curry. For me, curry sounds like curry, which is um, from my ancestral state of Punjab, North India. It's a sort of um, sauce that's cooked with yogurt or buttermilk and enriched with gram flour. But if you went to India, you wouldn't really find a curry. You just have lots of different regional dishes that would make up what I guess the British think of as a curry. 
Thank you so much. I really understand now, finally, <laughs> the problem with the word curry and, and why it doesn't really mean what we think it means. Now, I think you were born in Kenya. I was. And tell us a little bit about your restaurant, which is in Marylebone, I think. Yes. So it's called Jikoni, which means kitchen in Swahili. That takes part of my heritage. And really at Jikoni, what we do is we try and cook the food of people who have the ache for what they've left behind, but yet the wonder of their new landscape. So I have, you know, East African uh, influences. I have Indian influences, uh, Persian influences, because my North Indian sort of uh, heritage takes from Persia too, um, and British influences. And then we just celebrate the diversity of what makes Britain great, which is, you know, great Im immigrant uh, communities. So whether it's Polish pierogies that have been filled with the freshly made uh, paneer, which is an Indian cottage cheese, or, um, you know, I might go to Portugal and or have someone who works with me from Portugal who then inspires our menu. So we just take from from diversity. Ravinda's a poetess, isn't she? Honestly, I don't think I've got any words now. That, that, was, that was just like so beautiful. I, I've got nothing lovely. to say. Love it. <laughs> we want to all come round yours immediately. Oh, but, you'd but, be very welcome but, to. But one thing that I think that, that we think of with curries is going to be spice, isn't it? And Tom, let's talk about spice with you because in your kitchen, I bet you have a lot of spice flying around, don't you? We, we do, but... People quite often confuse spice with hot, yeah. and, and it's not. Spice is seasoning and flavour. Mm. You know, turmeric is a spice, but it's not hot. You know, cumin, coriander, they're, they're all things that taste fantastic. And they're all the sort of mustard seeds, a, a, a curry mix. The, the idea of what, you buy curry powder, right? Curry powder, what, what is that? What, I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculous. It, it is a mix of so many different spices, and then you can get a hot curry powder. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The reality of it is spices are all layers and layers and layers of flavours. So, yeah, and spices can go so far, whether it's star anise, whether it's cloves, whether it's uh, nutmeg, whether it's mace, whether it is cumin, coriander, turmeric, paprika. All of these things are absolutely fantastic. And then mixed together. And then by the time you start adding chilies to them, that's when they start becoming hot and spicy and peppers and mustard seeds and those sort of things. That's when it starts becoming spicy in terms of where people think spicy hot and it isn't spices about flavor layers and layers of flavor they're the kind of magic in the kitchen aren't they spices because yeah. they can transport you to places that the food itself can't do yeah exactly i mean if you think of the spice trail but where it comes all the way from asia all the way through like that you pick up things across the way it's saffron all of these they're just a wonderful array mixtures of things that go so so well that drive dishes forward and obviously in india there is a huge amount of, of spicing used in in the flavors of, of the dishes that they cook which by the time it's got to us here in 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 the uk we've we're just so like so close-minded to the different layers of flavors we just go anything that tastes a little bit like that that's a curry <laughs> and, and, and that's not the real reality of yes, it is it you much know, more subtle much and more complex, complex yeah so Ravinda how many spices do you have in your restaurant kitchen oh my goodness that uh, I couldn't actually tell you but I mean there are certain dishes in in my repertoire that will have up to 16 spices in in that one dish but you know for me spices in my cookery are like um the backbone of everything I do. And I often think that without spices, my food would be like elevator music, very one tonal. 
And spices are what give um, gives the food its layers. And you have to really understand and respect each spice and know its properties and how to use it. So if you dry roast something, if you grind it, if you use it whole, if you, you pop it in oil, it takes on a different personality. And I think that for me, I was very lucky because I grew up in a kitchen full of women who just seemed to know you know, inherently, instinct, instinctively what they were doing with these spices. So I sort of soaked it up. But it can be taught, but it takes patience to learn how to use those spices. Do you think you have a, a finer palate than most people? Oh, um, I don't want to sound big-headed, but I, I certainly, I'm, I ha- I'm attuned to spices like a bloodhound. You know, I can really smell uh, layers of spices. I know instinctively when a spice is ready, when to take it off, because there's nothing worse than an undercooked spice or a burnt spice. I think that's where you get that sort of very acrid ca- uh, taste in, or flavour in bad curries. So you're looking and smelling the whole time? Absolutely. Same as in your kitchen. Tom. Constantly, yeah. constantly, constantly. Yeah. But it, you become, you know, you become attuned to the understanding of what's going on around you. And if your world is about the spicing, the flavouring, the smells, the sounds, the, you, you, when you're roasting mustard seeds and they start popping, yeah. you can tell, you, you don't have to be looking at them. You'll be able to hear, yeah. actually, those mustard seeds are ready because I can hear them. I know what temperature the oil's at. I know what temperature they're frying. I can hear them. Pop. You know, it, that that's because of experience and being completely in tuned to, I suppose, the, the area and the space and the chosen profession of cooking of where, you, where you're at. That's where you get it. Yeah, it's a very sensual way of cooking. You know, you have to be open, your your mouth, your nose, your ears, everything, all your senses open to spices. I suspect you both actually do have very developed palates through have years of really tuning in and using all your senses. It's, it's not palate, it's, I, it's I mean, everything, isn't I, it? I mean, I've been a chef for nearly you know, what, 28, 30 years. And, you, you know, if you've been doing anything for that amount of time, you'd hope that you'd be all right at it. You know, you yeah. do. You, it's just it's just practice. It's just rehearsal. It's just things that you just get attuned to by doing it again repetitively over and over and over and over again. And so, yeah, I would I would hope that as chefs and restaurateurs and people that are in the kitchen, we would we would say, yes, our palates are quite good yeah. at going, yeah, no, there's too much salt in that or there's not enough that or you burnt the spice before you put that in or that went in at the wrong time or, you know, it, it, all those. You would be able to tell through layers of tasting. And analyse what it is rather than just saying, oh, that isn't great. You'd actually say what isn't great about it. Yeah, because, and I tell you why you know that, it's because we have made those mistakes in the first place. It, it can't, it isn't just something that you just know. You know when you've done something, you thought, oh, that's not quite right. I continue with the dish and go, and then you know the dish isn't quite right. You going it's not quite right because i put the garlic in at that point and i burnt it and that that bitterness of flavor that you get from there stays throughout the dish something you do right at the beginning could be there five hours later at the end and mm. you go that five hours hasn't made any difference to that first two minutes of cooking so you have yeah. to concentrate the whole Absolutely. time yeah i'm not doing that again you think yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> um, as you're have... giving it to the staff <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any favorite spices that you're partial to Time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of nutmeg and mace, and I love it very much. And, but and they're, I love, they're the same family, aren't they? Is the they mace are the, the mace is the outer uh, of yeah. the uh, outer of the nutmeg, which is in the middle. And nutmeg, mace, clove, star anise, cinnamon. Those are kind of my favourites, and they are because they um, they they're quite British in terms of. 
flavoring. You quite often have them with puddings and they work well with meats and seasonings in sausages and that kind of thing. So for me, it's it's those spices that I've learned to cook with that are that very much sit with me. And I quite like mustard seeds and I quite like... So there's things that work very well on a savory point of view for my kind of European style of cooking. Like, uh, and smoked paprika I love as well. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I talk about it a lot. But then in terms of things like turmeric, uh, in terms of uh, the use of chilies and chili powders and smoked chilies and dried chilies, I'm not really in tune as much to, with the understanding of that because it's not the style and the process that I cook. But doing it at home or doing it for a uh, um, professional reason, that we have had a number of spiced, almost Indian style dishes on the menu. But we made a put. I'm not going to put it on without knowing what to do. So actually, myself and my head chef, it was a, we went and spent time in the Michelin starred chef Akhtar Islam's kitchen to learn as much as we could about it. We, we spoke to him about a dish that we'd like to get on and we would like a kind of southern style um, uh, Indian Goan style coconut curried sauce that goes with the fish. And we went through the process, the understanding of the dish and the spices and the, and the right thing to you so that we get we have it authentically. We come back, we cook it, but we don't put anything else on without having to gain that experience because otherwise it's untrue to what we do. We have to, you have to know about it. You have to learn it, you know, and we I, we were there two days, learned one sauce. That's it. That's fine. I, we're not putting anything else on the menu that is just going to just put a bit of curry powder in it. And that's fine because that is not how to cook great, authentic food. What was the the main <clears throat> thing that you learned about that sauce during those two days in his kitchen? Just the levels, the, the taste, the, spe- the spices, the seasonings, how to get it right. Actually, how much knowledge that somebody like Akhtar has with spices and seasonings. And it, it's so easy if we don't know it in our own cultural way of cooking to just think that it's just a case of putting a bit of powder in, stirring it around. When you put those spices in, is it at the beginning? If you Do you finish it at the end with it? No. Do you do, Can you roast them up separately to something else? And the, is it better to have the spices whole and then roast them whole, then blend them down to a powder? Or is it better to buy the powder in? Or is it... There's so many different... So many different things that work with the layers. Whole, it turns out, is much better because it can take the, the natural oils are there for longer. And like the whole process of just all of that understanding is massive and it's a whole new learning curve that I went, you know, 20 years ago, if I started in a kitchen, I might know as much as Actar now if I'd done that style of cuisine, but I don't. I do another style. We're going to do a spice podcast one day. We should. That's a, a whole subject in itself. <laughs> I think itself. we should do it live from India. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ravinda, I I'm want... in. <laughs> <laughs> Ravinda, what about you? Any favourite spices? Oh, there's so many I love, um, but I really love um, that kind of uh, aromatic warmth uh, that cinnamon brings, um, star anise and saffron you know, is is expensive, but that I just love that you just need a tiny amount and it can just completely change the complexity of a dish. And do you get them from anywhere in particular, your spices? Do you, do you, do you go and get them or do they come to you? Um, some come to us and there are other things that I'll source especially. Um, when I travel to India, particularly to South India, uh, there's an estate that I know has incredible organic spices. So I try and bring as much back oh, from wonderful. there as I can. And the difference is completely extraordinary. I mean, where you'd use maybe five green cardamoms uh, in, you know, from a normal, you know, shop and you use them from that estate, two is enough. The the power of the flavour is just incredible. I believe Zanzibar is the place for spices. That's yes. they, where they grow lots of them and they're yeah. fascinating to see them grow because yeah. 
They look rather unfamiliar. They don't look like the little seeds and pods that we're used to. Yeah. How do you manage your spices? Do you keep them in jars or in the fridge or in the freezer? Or... Uh, we keep them airtight as much as possible. And the I, I would say to anyone who's buying spices is to buy small quantities um, and buy them whole and use your coffee grinder to grind them if you need, if the recipe, you know, calls for them to be ground. I would say on that point, no, get your, get, but then get another coffee grinder because once you've started grinding <laughs> spices in your coffee grinder, you, no matter how many times you clean it and scrub it, your coffee yeah. is now always going to taste of star anise and cinnamon. Yeah. And then... <laughs> I, ha- I have to say when, when I opened the restaurant, I bought this, uh, there's a wonderful, wonderful little shop called Poppets in uh, Wembley. Uh, on Edgeway Road or Ealing Road. And I went in and they have these little tiny spice blenders that, you know, all Indian housewives will have in their kitchen. And I, I went through about three of them <laughs> Is that an electric, in a couple a, of months. Electric. It's a little electric Yeah, blender, it's a little, right. you know, you press down and the yeah. motor runs and I just burnt the motor out because we were using such huge quantities of spices. But since then, my Thermomix has been pretty good. Oh, right. <laughs> because if you get one of those little buzz coffee grinder things, they, they do the job well, I think. And if you're not doing it every day, that, that works for me. Yeah, exactly. Because th- Thermomix, is, Thermomix is, a, is a large, it's a, a food mixer that heats, isn't it? Yeah. You restaurateurs know about Thermomix, but listeners might not because it's a, a rather elaborate piece of machinery, isn't it? It is, but they are amazing. They're incredible. They are a lot of money. Money, but yep. they are amazing. If you are a cook for at home, they're a, they're a great thing to have. They blend, but they blend beautifully. The thing that you need is a what, what we're looking for is something that will create a powder, something yeah. that will yeah. blitz up, uh, you know, whole spices into being a beautifully blended together powder. So yes, they're a great thing to invest in, and they're perfect. But you use them for much more than grinding. <laughs> from grinding your spices, you can buy something a lot cheaper that grinds spices, but it has to have something that w- would work and, and create a powder. But afterwards, it is fairly tainted in flavour. Ne- if it is a coffee grinder, your coffee will never, never taste the same. <laughs> I thought, Ravinda, that you were going to say to me, oh, it has to be done with a pestle and mortar. Uh, well, if if really, if I was just cooking at home, I would do it with a pestle and mortar. But obviously, the quantity that we use in the restaurant, you know, I'd I'd have muscles by now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is uh, quite quite hard work uh, to get them and to get them evenly done in a in a pestle and mortar. I'm not sure whether although everyone likes the idea of pestle and mortars, but they're really worth their place in the kitchen. Do you oh, think? I love my do pestle you? and mortar. It's a labour of love, and it's the anticipation as you're grinding things and the smells coming up that you you know you, you know you're in for something fantastic you get something from a pestle and mortar that you don't get from anything else and and it's an ingredient that you everyone overlooks and it is love yeah. and love is massive 100%. When, when you've and you can you can have two people cook exactly the same recipes exactly the same thing but if someone is doesn't care about it enough just just gets it done cooks it exactly like the recipe and is there but if somebody is caring for it loving it heart and soul i promise you 100% that dish will taste better and you can't you can't say why because the ingredients are the same the process is the same everything is a heart and soul and it really is an ingredient that comes through with food all of the time and it's you can always tell a dish that's been created with love and you get that with the pest and mortar because you're loving doing it you're involved in the process you get in but well you're loving you're loving doing it for the first couple of minutes then you're thinking <laughs> why am i doing this i should be doing it in a, bit, in a blender but yeah you, know, you that that that's a massive ingredient is love and it makes a big big difference particularly to dishes that are spice that takes no cooking yeah. that take that take heart and soul mm-hmm. 
Still to come on BBC Good Foods podcast with Tom Kerridge. You know, if you were to ask 50 women from London all the way through to Glasgow how they make the Yorkshire pudding, you'd get a different recipe all the time. How my grandmother made something will be They'd very be, different. It, it wouldn't it all be James Martin's recipes. If you <laughs> ask 50 women how to make Yorkshire <laughs> Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Ravindus, explain what you've brought with you, because we've got a, a beautiful, gleaming array of <laughs> foods in front of us. So I bought a few things and, you know, I wanted to uh, bring these things because when we sit down to eat a meal at home, it's never just that one curry. It always comes with a variety of things because, you know, the enjoyment of eating this kind of food is about the texture. It's about the varying flavors from sort of sour, hot, deeply, deeply spicy, sweet so I've got a variety of things here. I've got a samosa, of course. Everyone knows what a samosa is. Um, these ones are filled with uh, venison. So um, I really like the idea of using British game um, in, in samosas. And again, going on that British thing, I've got uh, beetroot chutney. So venison and beetroot are such a great combination. And so... Um, <clears throat> I've taken something that's quite classically British and and, and Chinese is an Indian kind of invention, or is that my imagination? That's that's yeah. correct. Yes, and it's that's fairly spicy, uh, Tom. <laughs> so you tucking in the the <laughs> chutney? Absolutely love it. I love Ben. So we use. I'm talking with mouthful again. We just do this in every episode. Venison. We use a huge amount, and we do we do it with spicing. It's spi- venison takes on spicing so well. So well. Whether it's a warm spice like this, which is absolutely delicious, or whether it's just toasted cumin and coriander, something but yeah. you know, a lot simpler. But venison and the, those flavours, British game, grouse. There's an amazing um, chef called Claude Bozzi, two Mission stars yeah. a restaurant called Babendam, and he does an amazing grouse dish with with Indian style spicing, yeah. and it is absolutely amazing because those big pungent gamey flavors they really do hold spice so nicely, and you can go you can go big spicing with yeah. it, which is I it's mean this, lovely. This one has uh, what we do is it has lots of different spices, but the main thing is that we burn cloves in ghee and then we use that ghee get rid of the burnt cloves and use that flavor to you know so it's sort of clove smoked 
And then, um, you know, to, to sort of, because venison's very lean, as you know, and I want it to have that sort of creamy texture. So what I've done is I've fried off cashew nuts and pureed them. And then that gives it that almost like fat richness, but it's not fat. Um, and then over here... I've got something a little that bit... That was delicious. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like... We've lucked you. out here, haven't Honestly, we, Tom? This is, this, is, this, is like the, this is the best way to spend an afternoon. <laughs> and then, yeah, this is, this is a little playful. So um, I was talking about my ancestral state of Punjab. One of the most famous dishes that comes out of Punjab is dal makhni. So really, really sort of buttery, rich, creamy black lentils. So I've turned the idea of that dal into a little croquetta. So this is a Montgomery cheddar and dal makhni cro- croquetta. And it's served with a bra- Bramley apple achar because I love using British ingredients. So normally if we were making an achar or a pickle, we'd use raw mangoes. But of course, they're very expensive and not available all the time here. And I love cheese and apple together as well. I love the way you dash around the globe. It's an ingredient <laughs> from here, an ingredient from there. It's marvellous, isn't it? It is amazing, but it's the understanding of actually, it's not the ingredient, it's the flavour profile of the ingredient. Exactly. So it's go like raw mango, like is is such a fantastic, but an an Indian style ingredient to use when it's dried as well with amateur powder. Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing, like sherbet. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. But like you say, it's, 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 it's a lot more difficult to get hold of here and a lot more expensive. But the one thing that we have that's similar to that, Texturally and yeah. acidity level is a Bramley apple. Yeah. I mean, why not make it yeah, work? Is it? Absolutely. It's not about oh yeah, we're using a Bramley apple or a mango that sounds so far apart. The reality is that the flavour profile of them are exactly the same. So there's no reason why that wouldn't work at all. It's delicious. It makes your menu read very, very excitingly because it's a bit like you've stepped into the land of Oz. It's, it's so it's all exciting things from uh, and it's kind of conjuring the whole world in your head. I Do you know, I, I just think it's the way British people eat. Um, you know, we're such a diverse country and we, you know, we kind of, especially as as an immigrant, you know, in, in new to this country, I came here when I was seven. And you are kind of, um, you know, supporting all the little mini economies of immigrants around you. So whether you're shopping in the Chinese supermarket or the Turkish supermarket or the Indian supermarket, you're picking up ideas from everywhere and you're preserving your own heritage, but then overlaying it with all these wonderful things that are available to you and around you. So that's how the food really comes around. I'm quite interested in the Montgomery cheddar and the croquetta, though, because in terms of Indian cookery, cheese, uh, paneer is, is very, it's very mild, very yeah. little in the yeah. way of flavour. And what you've done there is probably taken the strongest British cheese yeah. that you could find. I and gone, love a cheddar. Yeah, it's amazing. It works very, very well. But that doesn't feel quite as authentically Indian in terms of using dairy or cheese. And, you know, particularly for, for, for me, I really question that word authenticity. And I think that authenticity is so subjective. You know, if you were to ask 50 women from London all the way through to Glasgow how they make the Yorkshire pudding, you'd get a different recipe all the time. How my grandmother made something will be They'd very all be, different. It, it wouldn't it all be James Martin's recipes. If you ask 50 women how to make Yorkshire pudding, they would all say James Martin. I have to say I've made his Yorkshire puddings and they are good ones. Yeah. That is a good recipe. So, Isn't that the title of your new book? In Inauthentic. Yeah, so the, the title of the book is Jikoni, which means kitchen in Swahili, like I said. And the sub subheading is proudly inauthentic recipes from an immigrant kitchen. 
because that's, I'm so proud that's arresting, of you know, isn't it? Yeah. I just think sometimes people can get so hung up on authentic, and I'm not so much interested in um, you know. Is it authentic? The question I always ask is, what makes it taste better? And if it means a little dash of Worcester sauce or soy sauce to bring up the umami in something, or putting in a little secret ingredient, I think that's okay. That's 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 fine to do that. Is there anything secret here that you wouldn't want Tom to know about? Oh no, Tom's going to come and intern in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. We're always looking for staff. You yeah. know how it is, Tom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can do a swap ski. I mean, I love it. I mean, and that that's, is the beautiful thing about the British food scene and it's so culturally rich and diverse and layered and it's not just Indian and Sri Lankan cooking and Pakistani cooking there's now Polish and there's you know there's yeah. German and yeah. Italian and and it's so mixed and varied and that's what makes this you know the UK food scene such a wonderful place to be because we haven't got you know British ingredients I'm a British chef that cooks with British ingredients and we do roast beef and Yorkshire pudding however the more you move away from that the more diverse it is. We're such an incredibly cultured and wonderfully rich country for flavours and for people and for experiences. And, it, and it's amazing to get that. You mix that together with food and it's, it's it's incredibly exciting. Now, you're both highly imaginative, creative cooks. So I want to ask you, both of you, where do you get your ideas from? Is it by travelling around or by reading or looking or out of thin air? No, mine is more... Um, See, I see. I wouldn't say it's creative. I have this argument and conversation quite a lot with my wife, who's an artist, who is then creative and has a, a, a has a forward thinking mind. I say my, mine is through building blocks of an understanding of a trade. I've learned a trade. I've learned how to build something from an understanding of acidity and level. Very looking at the flavor profile, very very similar to go. There's primarily apple or raw mango. I've learned. It's an acidity. It's not necessarily about the ingredient. So I've learned the building blocks of flavor. And then I look at dishes that people want and people understand. And then you look at texture. So the samosa has got nice and crisp on the outside and rich in the middle. And you're looking for that balance. And and it's just a case of just building those blocks together. So when I put dishes together, we sit down. There's very creative people in my team as well. And we'll sit down there. But we look at food that people understand. And it has to have the right level of balance of acidity, salt, crunch texture you know richness and and you just build on that so it's it's not um i'm not looking at new flavor profiles new dishes new ideas new i just go actually what tastes nice yeah and ravinda how about you because you these are very exciting dishes and they must have come from somewhere uh they do i mean for me a lot of it a lot of the food that i create is about storytelling um so I'm very inspired by travel. I'm very inspired by the stories that people tell me when I meet them. I'm very inspired by, you know, all sorts of things. There was a uh, one of the dishes that we did uh, at the restaurant recently was inspired actually by a documentary I saw. And it was this charming little short film about... Um, Italian, uh, it, uh, Italy in the sort of 2000s um, at the, you know, yeah, around about 2000 and how the dairy industry was really on its knees because they couldn't find the workforce, you know, long hours, not much financial return. So what they decided to do is set up an uh, immigrant program and to get uh, Indian farmers who were really expert at handling livestock to come and start working on these dairy farms. 
And so a lot of the cheese that we now eat uh, that comes from Italy is actually being made by Indian Italian immigrants. And I found that story so fascinating. And so we came up with this dish, which is a, a paneer nudi. So a nudi is like a, a gnocchi, but without the starch. So it's super light, made just with cheese. We make it with fresh paneer. So we'd make the paneer fresh every morning. Uh, we'd uh, mix it with parmesan, um, roll roll them up together, sort of mix them with a bit of semolina. And then we would serve it with sag, which is a very typically North Indian spinach sauce, cavallonero, pickled lemon, pine nuts. And for me, that dish told the story of two nations integrating. And it was a love letter to those Italian Indian farmers. She's getting all poetic again. It's amazing, isn't it? It's lovely. I'm, I'm, I don't want to stop you. I'm in love with that dish. I'm like, I, that's amazing. That's Ottolenghi's that, favourite dish, though, isn't it? Ottolenghi writes, yeah, writes about he, that dish. Yes, he, he recently um, gave me a quote for the book, actually, saying that that was the dish that he found really exciting, really compelling. So, yeah. Now, we're speaking at a very high level here. We, we were asked to talk about curries. So I'm just going to pull us down a little bit to uh, something a bit more straightforward. A couple of questions that we've had in from social media because we've always got listeners wondering what uh, what they can ask us. So we've got um, two current problems for people making curries. The first is they can't seem to get a depth of flavour. What would you say is going wrong with their curries lacking a depth of flavour? So for me, I, I mean, I'm not the expert here. However, I would say so much of that comes from the the beginning, the love and the care and the process at the beginning, the understand the the roasting of the onions and the garlic at the beginning. Get deep cut on them. Get caramelization. Get roasted colour. Nice and, and slow with the onion. Slow. Take time. Yeah. It might take forty minutes. It doesn't matter. Just yeah. get. There's a layer of flavour there. Then the the spices. Don't buy a packet of curry powder. Buy the spices, buy the mustard seeds, buy the peppercorns, buy the buy the whole cinnamon, buy the cumin, buy the coriander, buy the chili, dried chilies, buy the not just like just don't buy one ready mix or a jar of sauce that you have. like find all those flavors and roast them properly, put them through it. And then that beginning bit, that's that's where I would say like pretty much all cookery, particularly for things that are a little bit slower cooked, that's where the flavour comes from, the care right at the beginning. So that that, that, that would be me, however. Uh, and however. then you, um, I think it might help to leave it overnight. Do you think that the flavours develop and deepen overnight? Yeah, flavour, flavours I think for anything that's stewed, those flavours, they do, the longer you leave them, the, the more time they have to become very good friends. Oh, nicely put. Beautifully and, and, put. And Ravinda, how about you? Well, I, I I completely agree with Tom. Obviously, an expert at curry making. <laughs> but those are, you know, that is for me. I'm constantly telling my team those onions have to be cooked on a really low heat for a really long time, and it can take forty minutes sometimes just to get them really deeply caramelized. But the other thing for me is don't just dump all your spices in at once. Understand that, you know, they've got to go in at different times to open them up. And that's where you get that lovely layering of flavor is when you give your spices a little bit of time to breathe. 
Fantastic. See, that's next layer. So yeah. I was, I was, I was like, roast the onions. That was amazing. Then put in the spice. No, no, you roast the onion and then put the spices one by one. Look after. So that's next layer. I was almost there. <laughs> Tom is very often when we've been talking. Tom very often pleads with listeners to take their time over things and be gentle with them. And he's not a screamy, shouty chef. He doesn't hammer hammer away in that kitchen. He cooks things long and slow and gently, which is rather charming and effective. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it, it is at home and I don't share it here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ravinda, by the way, earlier on, you mentioned buy your spices in small quantities. People who enjoy spicy cooking sometimes head down to an ethnic shop and buy a big bag of spices, yeah. a great big bag of spices, mm-hmm. which then, of course, lasts rather a long time. That's what you're not suggesting, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think those shops also do smaller quantities. And, you know, I, I go to little ethnic shops and, and they do them in sort of 50 grams bags as well as a kilo of them. So it's up to you how much you buy. I think the main thing is to keep things airtight. And and in the dark or does that not really matter? Um, I mean, they're in a cupboard, so yeah. they're pretty, pretty dark unless you just have shelves. But yeah, mine tend to be, I, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. But yeah. The other question we had is how to thicken a curry. I don't know why these curries are ending up a bit thin, but several people say, oh, how do I thicken it up? We have a trick. I mean, this is a very uh, Punjabi trick is uh, we just in the way that um, the British would use corn flour to thicken up a, a, a sauce, we use polenta. So, for example, we make a dish which is uh, turnips that have been like really beautifully and turnips are so underrated, you know, they're like the plain Jane of vegetables, but I absolutely <sighs> love them. Um, so we cook them first just in water and turmeric uh, until they're completely falling apart. And then we make a little sort of mixture of spices, put the turnips through and they're quite wet because they have a lot of water. And then what we do is just slowly start adding a bit of polenta in a handful at a time and keep stirring and cooking that polenta out and it just thickens up beautifully. That's a good tip. Yeah, I would be tempted to put in um, maybe some lentils, some re- red lentils that stir them in. To you know, if you think they my, cook quite fast, they don't will they? cook relatively yeah, quickly. But yeah. what they do is they will absorb liquid, so it will thicken without without too much flavour. I mean, it, that that would be a way of doing it. Or there's a really um, there's a French way of cooking uh, of thickening sauces with something called a bourmagne, which is like butter and flour that mix together, and you add it in and cook it a little bit like corn flour. But you could do something relatively similar using gram flour and yeah. and, and, and melt it, but and, and you put it in, and, and that will thicken it. That will thicken it. But and I would be more tempted to use the uh, uh, lentils, I think, to put them in and cook. Could you strain it and? Simmer or boil the sauce to, to thicken it a bit, to reduce it a bit, as yeah, you would you do could, in French cookery? You could, but that, I was going to say that this suddenly becomes a very European way of cooking and reducing things down to intensify flavours. And so mm. actually, there's much more to uh, that kind of Indian style of cookery where it is about that slow combination of the flavours cooking together. They they stew, they they mix. And they, I, I would rather be adding something to the flavours to make them emulsify and become thicker than pouring it away and reducing it down and then re-adding it back. Yeah, because it could change the flavour a bit, boiling away. You you might be yeah. disturbed, Ravinda, by... Can I just, just say that, actually, uh, it's a myth that all curries are supposed to be thick and rich. Actually, right. some of the curries we have are really sort of, you know, quite thin, thin sauces. They don't also, you know, if you're wondering why it's a thin sauce, perhaps that's just the way it's supposed to be. That's very reassuring. Thank you, Ravinda. Now... We've got a tom curry dish. We've got a prawn, potato and coconut curry. But Ravinda has also got two more dishes she's, yeah, she's brought here. Yeah, I'm dying for you here. to try this. And poor Tom is 
allergic to prawns, so he can't eat prawns. So he's going to eat your dishes and we're going to eat his. Yeah. So Ravinda, what, like what is Tom going to eat? So you're going to have a bale and a bale is a, a sort of a snack. You have to dig right to the bottom because there's layers. Say, a, 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 ba- bale, bale. What's that word? Bale? Bale. bale. Um, so it's like a, oh, a, wow. a typical Indian street food snack. Um, mine has a slight, uh, you know, Kenyan accent to it because I've used white sweet potato, which isn't commonly used in India. Um, but it's layers and layers. So it's it's sort of got semolina crisps at the bottom, sweet potato, chickpeas, tomatoes, cucumber, pomegranate, mung sprouts, cucumber, beetroot, onions, puffed rice, uh, save, um, tamarind chutney, yogurt. I mean, you can see it's everything but the kitchen sink. Um, you poor are, man, Tom. There are so many <laughs> flavours that have gone through that. It's incredible. It's clean. It's you you listed pretty much every ingredient when you walk through a supermarket there. <laughs> However, <laughs> the balance of it is amazing. It's clean. It's crisp. It's delicious. <clears throat> it's very... <laughs> <laughs> Bit of chilli there. It's no cl- podcast would be complete without a, a Tom <laughs> Coffin fit. <laughs> it's clean, it's crisp, it's fresh, it's delicious. It's, it's really, it's it's incredibly exciting, it's vibrant. And then on the top, the pomegranate seeds that really make, they burst into life. They make things really, I mean, they just add this real zest to everything. It's, what a wonderful, clean dish. Thank you. Absolutely and, and delicious. these things here um, that look like popcorn are actually popped lotus seeds, which I've just sort of put through a bit of caramel for a little bit of sweetness. Pop lotus seeds. Honestly, it is like pop. Never had those in this studio before, have we, Tom? (laughs) No. We've had locusts and we've had ants. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Ants and grasshoppers. I've got to be honest, this tastes a lot better than ants. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was grasshoppers. You said that the um, grasshoppers tasted twiglets. That's okay. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's not as good as this. <laughs> twiglets are not as good as this. I and, love a twiglet. And what's the, this one? The, the, the green. So this is a thorn. So this is a, the idea that not every curry has to be uh, heavy. So this is a very fresh uh, salad served at room temperature or cold. And it's basically green beans that have been sort of sautéed in mustard seeds and curry leaves with coconut and cashew nuts. And it's just a lovely thing to have if you're having a dal... Oh, you're having a, you know, even with this prawn curry, it would be a fantastic accompaniment. And what, what was the name that you called that? It's called a thorin. Thorin. And a thorin is basically a cold stir fry. Um, but you could you could use beetroot, you could use pumpkin, you could use all manner of things. But I love British green beans when you can get them. The layers of flavours, the toastiness that comes with that is just amazing. Ravinda is very, very clever. Aww. And thank you for bringing in such beautiful food. And this prawn curry isn't half bad. Tom, you poor man being allergic to prawns. Has that been forever? Mm. No, yeah. (laughs) Now, prawns, crustacea, yeah, always. Mollusks, probably the last 10 to 12 years. So it's, uh, yeah, it's... It's one of those things. We'll put up with it. It's not the end of the world, is it? I mean, there's plenty of other things to eat, like this stuff. Yeah, All the we'll, more for us. <laughs> we'll be we'll be very careful with you and make sure that we don't give you any mm. prawns by accident. But so, Ravinda, tell me what you think of Tom's curry. I have to say, it's absolutely delicious. I love the sweetness, the background note of sweetness, the sort of subtlety of the spices, which are really well balanced. And uh, it just, for me, it reminds me, it's like um, transporting me to the south of India. It's really delicious. I mean, that's very kind. I'm going to take that as a huge compliment. <laughs> However, I'm going to stick with these croquettes because I think they're amazing. <laughs> um, we're going to carry on chomping our way through this simply fabulous feast that's in front of us. So I'd like to thank our listeners enormously 
and thank even more Chef Tom Kerridge and Chef Ravinder Bogle of Jaconi Restaurant, where I'm going to be heading pretty damn quick. Yeah. Thank you very much and see you all soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the BBC Good Food podcast with Tom Kerridge. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. And to find out more about the recipes we've been talking about, go to bbcgoodfood.com. Listener.